Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat, all you'll need to do is to like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. Now we're going to get started straight away with some questions. Rosie is from Waruna in WA. Waruna is uh, about an hour and a half south of Perth and uh, she'd like to know how to care for a cherry tree. Now cherries will grow quite well actually in the Perth Hills but tend to struggle a little bit down on the sand plain but the further south you head the better they grow and the key with them is actually in the first couple of years of getting established is to keep the water up to them it's really important so lots of water regular feeding and you'll get a lot of growth and the funny thing about them is that uh, year two year three you'll start to see a few fruit um, start to appear but year five you'll start getting really serious crops and uh, and that's the time when you do want to support them as soon as they've finished fruiting um, because then you if you stimulate more and more growth you'll get a bigger frame bigger stronger tree so um, once they've finished fruiting once you've harvested that's the time to give them a good feed uh, and in my case my cherries at home that's actually when I prune them as well so once they've basically been uh, once they've been harvested we we take the cherries off the tree Next question, Christy in Maitland in New South Wales. Hello, Christy. Uh, hello, everybody in New South Wales. I am having a problem with one of my roses. It's been in the ground now for about two years and it's never had a flower on it. Um, now, it was in a pot when you got it. What can you do to make it flower? It's an unusual thing because generally roses, uh, the, the modern hybrid teas and floribunda varieties are prolific. So for it not to flower suggests that maybe it might not be one of those. It could be one of the old-fashioned varieties that only flower once a year. And if you're giving them lots and lots of nitrogen, they have this habit of just putting on growth, not producing flower. So you can miss the flower. Those are the damask and musk kind of roses, those very old-fashioned, usually quite beautiful singles or, or quite ruffled doubles. Um, it's a bit hard to, to probably take that guess, Christy, but what I would suggest you do is back off the fertiliser um, back off the water, try and stress it a little bit and see whether that triggers a little bit of flowering. And um, of course, for everybody at the moment, you will have gone through a summer flush and now is the time to be pruning your roses back. So taking about 20% of the flower stems off, uh, bringing them back down will make a big, um, a really, really big difference. Uh, Rosie from Maroona just came back with a, with a quick follow-up question. What should I feed them? Well, interestingly enough, Rosie, just a good all-round fertiliser. You, you, an all-purpose fertiliser applied right now will really get great results, but you want something that's going to feed them um, quite quickly. So you don't want necessarily a controlled release. You want to be using something 
like a specialised fruit fertiliser, which you can get citrus and fruit, and uh, I would apply that and then I would water it in thoroughly. Okay. Now, Janine, um, we're not sure where you're from, Janine. This is why it's really important that you do let us know where you're from because it does make a big difference to me answering your questions. Janine um, has a four-year-old immature lemon tree and not one lemon. What are you doing wrong? Well, it's probably what you're doing right. So lemons, um, look, they should be pr producing prolifically all the time. It's just the nature of that particular type of citrus. But if it's not producing fruit, it's probably because you're giving it a lot of fertiliser. In fact, a high nitrogen fertiliser is probably causing that. So what you want to do is try and change that around. And you can do that through adding something like sulphate of potash, which is going to help support the development of uh, fruit once it does go into flower. I hope that helps. And uh, Janine came back and she's from Adelaide. So sulphate of potash, Janine, that'll make a big difference. Again, this is, um, with a four-year-old tree, uh, it's, 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 it's not really immature. It should be starting to develop quite well. So giving it a, a really good feed with um, sulphate of potash right now in around the base of the tree, washing that into the soil thoroughly, will do it the world of good. I hope that helps. Olivia is in Ballarat in Victoria and hello to everybody in Victoria. Olivia, this is a this is a really interesting problem that you've posed here and you've actually uh, sent us a photo. And this is something that I see a lot of and you've probably all had this experience at some point in time. So you can see there's a weeping cherry here and half the weeping cherry is what we would call chlorotic. The leaves are sort of a lighter green, almost a yellow sort of going through them. Now this isn't caused by a disease. This is caused probably by some kind of, and I would suspect that it's some kind of buildup of lime um, on one side of the tree. So basically where the roots are going on that side of the tree, you're seeing that particular growth habit occurring. And this is where, you know, if you damage roots or if you get a dry pocket in the soil and a section of the root system dies off, you'll often see that reflected in the actual plant above. So you have to look at the, 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 the canopy of the tree and look at the root system below and you'll see that um, there'll be some something affecting that. Now, what I would recommend you do is probably punch a couple of holes in the ground with a pipe. So just go around the outside, maybe three or four on the damaged side. I would then put, uh, I would th suggest that you try something like uh, gypsum into the ground and I would give it a little bit of a feed um, just on that side of the tree and it should balance it out. But it's, it's quite an unusual thing, but it's mother nature at her finest. So hope that helps. Let's go up to Queensland. We've got Isabel in Brisbane. Hello, why are my flowers so small on my roses? Well, that's a different problem, Isabel. And this is actually something that I'll talk about a bit later on, but it's highly likely that you have uh, a thrip infestation. Um, because what happens with thrips is that they damage the bud as it's developing so it never grows to its full size. And thrips generally, this time of the year, is when they start to, to really sort of do their, um, uh, do their damage. And uh, the first thing you'll see is generally flowers that are not as vibrant in their colour. And secondly, the, the big thing you'll see is um, smaller flowers. And there's a third thing, and that is that the flowers tend not to last very long as well. So you'll find all the petals fall off them quite quickly. Hope that helps, Isabel. Um, you probably want to know how to get rid of the thrips. Well, I, I will tell you, but the best, the best control in my mind are natural predators. And I'll talk about a couple of those a bit later on. Natalie is in Bunbury. That's in the southwest of Western Australia, a couple of hours south of Perth. She's got a Chinese tallow tree. Chinese tallows are beautiful trees, but 
this one suckers and, um, and they do not stop coming up. Now, if it's suckering, that means that uh, basically the tree's grown up like this, the roots are on the surface of the soil and probably when you're mowing or you've done something to damage the surface, those roots have started sending up shoots. Now, the key to stop them from coming through is to pull the suckers away. If you cut them, you'll end up with multiple buds bursting and then they'll, they'll take off. So um, don't do that. Uh, just just pull them away and that should stop, stop it from suckering. It is not a common thing for a Chinese tallow tree to sucker, by the way. So um, that's, that's quite unusual. I hope that helps, Natalie. Naomi is on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, one of my favourite places. What are these on my roses, please? And you can see she's got a little beetle there. There's um, a few different types of bugs around. Those ones have actually got eggs as well, so they're about to hatch. Now, I don't think it's actually a pest of any real consequence, but it was very difficult to identify from the photo. But I can tell you that um, the simplest way to get rid of it is probably to dust with something like um, uh, a sulphur dust, and that'll just get them to move on without causing huge amounts of damage, and, and that's, um, that's always one way to go. Um, Steph, we don't know where you're from, Steph, but um, please, folks, keep telling us where you're from. Everybody's doing a pretty good job at the moment, but uh, Steph, you've got a dwarf nectarine. You've had it for six months now. You repotted it to a bigger pot, but it seems to be growing so slowly. Is that how they are? And the answer is yes. They're a dwarf tree because they're grown on a rootstock or grafted onto a rootstock. Um, that is very slow growing. And uh, generally, it's the first sort of four months or so of the of the growth season after they come out of dormancy when you really start to get some good growth. Uh, this time of the year, in, in the peak of summer, uh, they tend to be pretty static and then you might just get a little bit more of a burst of growth in the cooler conditions as they come through. So my suggestion to you would be to give it a feed at the moment, use a controlled release fertiliser, that's the key. So something like Osmocote, always good. It's always going to give you nice steady growth. Mary's in New South Wales. Hello, Mary. Uh, what is that spectacular flower I'm holding? What's well, a good lead-in to, um, to that? That is that flower. And uh, I'll tell you all about it. It is known as the sacred lily of the Incas, um, Hymenocallus festalis. You can see uh, David uh, Van Berkel's getting all excited in the background. He spotted it. It's one of my favourites. It's a beautiful uh, lily. It's got... Um, it's got these beautiful strap leaves and uh, this is planted, I have a, a big pond around the outside of my, well sorry, I have a big pond, and these are planted around the outside of the pond and uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. And one of the great things about it is every single day it produces a new flower. And what I mean by that is that these flower heads come up and you can see there's new buds coming through all the way through here. So. I'm just going to show that for you. You can see the new buds just there, they're perfect. And then that's the mature flower. And they generally last a day, sometimes two days. But uh, this, this one's got three open at the moment. So pretty much once they start flowing, they'll flow consistently with one dying off and one replacing them and always being a couple of them sort of sitting around the outside. But isn't that gorgeous? It's Hymenocallus festalis. There's another form called Littoralis. They're pretty common now in Australia. You usually see them growing in the tropics, but this is a wonderful ground cover and uh, absolutely beautiful bulb. And uh, one of the highlights in my garden at the moment, just one, because I've got another one I'll show you a bit later on. Um, if you've got any questions, make sure you keep posting them and telling us where you're from. And I'll tell you, particularly about that one, I'll tell you whether it'll grow at your place. Um, Okay, let's go to Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Uh, what are the grubs growing on my, I think that's spider lilies. 
they are dark grey. Now, she has sent that through, and I can't really see the, the grub super well, but look, you will get caterpillars on these guys, and the best way to get control of them is to actually use a, um, well, one of these, something like um, uh, Success is a good example, actually. I was trying to think of um, the, the biological uh, ingredient, but I can't off the top of my head. It's just brain's not working this morning. But um, success is a really good example of something that uh, will help you control that. And it's these uh, bacterial controls that really help with grubs, and they, they pretty much treat most of them. So uh, it's spinosad is the, uh, is the active ingredient, and you'll find that in, in several different um, products, but, but success is probably the most common one that you'll find in your local garden centre. Chris, we don't know where you're from, but we do know that you've got a yellow hibiscus with buds on it, but they're falling off before they open up. Now, why does this happen? It happens for a couple of reasons. One of them is a lack of, um, of phosphorus in your soil, and it's a really common problem with hibiscus. So um, hibiscus really are gross feeders, and this time is the time of the year when they're really growing strongly, they'll produce lots of buds, but if they, they don't have enough of those core ingredients, and potassium and phosphorus are two really important ones for hibiscus, uh, you don't want to necessarily be giving them too much nitrogen. So Think of adding something like sulphate of potash, as I just talked about before. We'll look at a fertiliser high in, uh, in PNK, and that'll really help you. Tina is in Melbourne. Hello, Tina. Your grass tree needs help. It sure does, Tina. Thank you for the photo. It's not happy. It's definitely not happy. And I was just talking about spinosad, um, so that's success. And I would suggest that you've got one of two problems here. You could have a grub in that, in that grass tree. Um, and they, they're bore, so they're borer, so spinosad is the, the correct treatment. But it, it's more likely that it's a combination of things, and that is the borer's probably done some damage, and you've got a, a, a fungal infection in there. And if you do not treat it, this is going to die. Now, the treatment is using something called Yates anti-rot. Yates getting a bit of a plug this morning, but anti-rot is one of the best fungicides for treating this kind of problem. And what I would do is I'd drench it over the top of the plant, uh, as far as the borer goes, that spinosad is a, is a treatment, but, but do the two treatments separate to each other. So that's my, uh, my suggestion. I hope that helps. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, give us a like. Um, just, just let everybody know that, um, that you're enjoying it and that we're helping you out. Leah is in Brisbane, and uh, she sent us a um, picture of her corn cobs, and they're not exactly the biggest and happiest corn cobs. And there's two reasons why corn goes like this. And, uh, that, but Leah's also said they are the sweetest and that's, uh, that's a great thing about growing, growing corn. This is a pollination issue that you've got here, Leah. You know, a good corn cob will have up to a thousand ovules on it. So that is a thousand of those little um, uh, kernels. <laughs> Couldn't get that out. And, um, the, the trick with corn is in the early stages of the corn's development is to feed it a high nitrogen fertiliser. And often those chicken manure-based fertilisers have got a fairly high nitrogen, so high N, and um, that's a good way to get started. But once you start to see the, the, the flowers appear, so on, on your corn, that's, um, that's time to back off with the, the nitrogen and you just let the corn do its own thing. The one thing about corn that's really important is that you plant corn 
in blocks. So you plant lots of plants within the block and you'll end up with the most amazing results. That's how you get the pollinators to come in and you end up with better, better kernels. So don't go scattering them around the garden or have them in two or three different locations. Try and do a block of 50 or 100 plants and you grow them from seed. So it's not too difficult to do that. I hope that helps. Now, it is that time of the year and I've just shown you one of my favourite bulbs, but let's have a look. Oops. And... Uh, Let's have a look at uh, what's coming up as far as spring flowering bulbs go. Nobody knows that better than my mate, David Van Berkel. David, it's nice to see you on a Monday morning. It's uh, interesting on a Monday morning, Trevor. How are you going? Yeah. <laughs> Very good, mate. It's not quite as good as the Friday afternoon with a glass of red that we've caught you with uh, maybe once, but uh, I'm sure you had a lovely weekend. How's the weather over in Melbourne at the moment? Beautiful mild day today. We've got uh, you know mid-20s coming on. Um, nice and cool at night. So, yeah, surprisingly mild summer so far. David, um, I got uh, got the news a week or two ago, bad news that um, the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show isn't going ahead uh, this autumn, which is a bit sad, but I, I have heard rumours that it might be uh, going to happen a bit later in the year this year. They're talking about October, Trevor, and it would be really nice to still see the event, uh, you know, come to fruition. But yeah, it's pretty scary times, isn't it, to organise something so uh, so massive as that event. So well, as, uh, as probably we, safer that it's off. Yeah, I was going to say, as we see with this, um, this these times at the moment, every single day is, an, is a new day and it's a, a new challenge, as we've just experienced over here in the West with uh, with lockdown. And we're still in, we still have some conditions uh, attached to um, our day-to-day -day lives, but we've been very fortunate, I think, to have pretty much dodged a bullet over here with um, this very scary strain of COVID-19 uh, being identified over here in Perth. And, and I know that you guys have had uh, your challenges in Melbourne there with that as well. So yeah, strange times, but do you know what? These times are the best times to be getting out and getting into the garden. And what, what should you be doing right at the moment, David? At the moment, you should be uh, preparing your, your garden beds for your spring flowering bulbs. Yep. That's the season that, that we're in and focused on at the moment. So uh, you talked about chook shit a minute ago, um, yep. putting plenty of, uh, of manures and compost into your soil, uh, turning it over, get some aeration into it, um, kill off any weeds ready for you know, planting around Easter time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's that this moment in time is a really important one. If you can get your, get your soil right now, the garden itself will be fantastic um, come true autumn weather, which, you know, it is, as you've just pointed out, it's 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 strange weather we're seeing all over the country, but it, we are heading into those milder conditions. And this is one of my favourite times of the year for getting into the garden. Mate, during during the uh, during the week, I got one of these in the mail. Oh, they're so cool, aren't they? We haven't okay. done one of them for a while. No, it's, it's so good to get the catalogue back. And uh, for people who want to get their hands on the catalogue, how do they do it? Just go to the website, Trevor, and uh, www.gardenexpress.com.au and register for your catalogues uh, and also via email. It's important to uh, make sure you get the e-catalogues as well. Um, printing oh. is, uh, is a little bit few and far between these days. Things are selling very, very quickly. It's pretty inspirational stuff when you see that, though. That's just, just amazing. Let's talk about um, spring flowering bulbs. What have you got coming up? as far as an offer goes. You've got the, the Tulip Novelty Collection, I know, in the wooden tea box. That was really popular last year. Yeah, and, and already you just got your catalogue. It's uh, They're selling very quickly. It's um, some of my favourite things that I wanted to put together in, in gift boxes, either to treat yourself 
but we're we're putting together the nicer varieties, some some really rare products that's that's limited in availability. Things like oh. Carnival Denise and Foxtrot, double price. You know, all of these exquisite looking tulips and some beautiful hyacinths. Yeah, uh, in, into the into the nice tea box makes a great gift, Trevor. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, with uh, with Valentine's Day coming up, uh, that might be. Uh, Good way to get yourself back in the good books if you're not, right? Uh, I'm not, Trev. I'm not at all working <laughs> a little bit too hard at the moment. I think we all are. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing, though, with, with um, I, I suppose, putting, you know, or, or buying your spring flowering bulbs now. So now's the time to shop for them, select the varieties, order them, get them delivered. But it's not the time to get them in the ground just yet, is it? Not straight away, no. So, no. you know, around the country, particularly, uh, you know, in the northern states, the ground's very warm. We like mm. to get those cooler soil temperatures before we put the bulbs in. If you've planted them and they're well established, uh, you know, those temperatures aren't so bad. You've usually got some shade cover over yep. the garden, so that's uh, that's helping the bulbs during their dormant time. Um, but, yeah, definitely, you know, Easter's kind of the turn of the season for, yep. for planting. David, um what, what's the trick to getting the best results? We've talked about this before, but what's the trick for getting the best results once your bulbs have turned up at home? You know, some people talk about putting them in the crisper at, you know, three or four degrees for, for a month or so. Is that is that the trick? That is not harmful at all. It's very, very advantageous for particularly tulips and, uh, and for possibly for hyacinths. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to put them in the crisper, you have to keep them away from the vegetables, Trevor, because your green vegetables like... Broccoli, when it goes a little bit yellow in the bag, that's yep. an ethylene gas, and that will kill off the flower within the bulb. Right. So storing the bulb in like a Tupperware container or in one side of the crisper without the veggies, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, that's um, that's really good advice. Um, when it comes to, to actually planting, so we're over here in the West, I would normally sort of look at my spring flowering bulbs going in third fourth week of March um, just just prior to Easter generally is the sort of planting time they would go into the ground here and that's usually because we've had a bit of rain that there's good sort of soil moisture levels but it, it is that much more cooler and milder and that does mean a lot to these kinds of bulbs doesn't it it does it's it's huge particularly when as I said they they've been dislodged from their home on on the farms um, gone through that dormant stage all of their prior roots have, uh, have been trimmed off so that yep. cooler planting time is definitely much better. And, but you can take that all the way through till about the end of May, Trevor. Once you get okay. into June, you start to lose your flowering capabilities of the bulbs. They start to you know, diminish within the bulb and they'll throw up some good foliage. Um, yep. but yeah, so you want to be right in that middle there from, from late March uh, all through April. Okay. Now, David, let's go back to these these novelty um, tea boxes just for, just for the exercise. We're talking tulips. We're talking hyacinths. Um, they come in a box. How many do you get in there? You get a you get a dozen of uh, in in each different box. So we've got a romance collection, a fringed collection, beautiful bicolor collection, uh, and then the same with the hyacinths. You know, just uh, just my favourites. So three each of four different varieties in each yep. set. Yep. And and what's the cost? Uh, Thirty nine dollars, Trevor, in the beautiful gift box. Uh, Forty for the hyacinths, I believe. Okay, so so this is probably the perfect gift at the moment for that someone special who it doesn't have to be a birthday it could just be you know wonderful starter to the season and a great chance to brighten somebody's day up um the other one that i think that i think is a really important um i would sort of consider it like a kit but it's your your advantage bulb starter kit that's a pretty 
um, pretty handy tool to have just at the moment because particularly when you're out in the garden and you're on your hands and knees, you need that kneeling pad, you need the gloves. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, look, that's uh, that's a great kit, Trevor. The, uh, the kneeling pads are just sensational. You know, the memory foam to keep you uh, nice and comfortable. Um, yep. You don't have to be in the older segment to uh, to get sore knees out no. there on, uh, on some of the gravelly parts of your garden. Um, and, and then all the other accessories that I just find are, are super handy, you know, some uh, some string to tie things up with, uh, a good dose of fertiliser, um, you know, which is good for general purpose, all of your, all of your garden plants, um, mm -hmm. bulb storage trays, uh, or even for planting in. So yep. if you do want to harvest your bulb uh, at the end of the season, you can lift the whole tray out of the ground, Trev, put it under a, under a tree somewhere nice and cool, um, yep. plant it again the next year. Oh, wow. That's a pretty cool idea. Hey, um, I've got a question. Kevin from Coffs Harbour has uh, just sent us a note. He wants to know what bulbs do well in Coffs Harbour. It's subtropical climate. Subtropical climate. Yeah, beautiful. So um, you'll be looking for some of the South African style bulbs, your freesias, yeah. your ranunculis, uh, those types of things. Ixias do wonderful up there, the, the windflowers. Yeah. So probably stay away from anemones and, and definitely tulips. Jonquils will do well in lots of places, Trev. Sorry. Yeah, jonquils are great. Lycoris? Lycoris is fantastic, yes. Yeah. Yep. And the other one that I'm thinking of from your catalogue is the Haymanthus. So you've got you've got the red, obviously the blood lily, um, which yes. is one that a lot of people would know. It's got huge, big strap leaves. They're just gorgeous. Um, but the other one, you've got the cream one as well, haven't you? I've got the cream one, and, and Trev, I've got like a dozen pink ones. I'm trying to build them up. It's a wow. gorgeous little pink one. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Oh, but Amanthus, okay. the red and the white, delightful up there in Coffs Harbour. Well, mate, this, as usual, you're uh, a fountain of knowledge. You've, um, you've just shared uh, some great tips again, which I really appreciate. But also, you know, great product. And if people want to be able to check out, the, if they don't have the catalogue, if they haven't uh, signed up as of yet, but they want to check out the website because the website's got all of this on as well, where do they go? www.gardenexpress.com.au. Couldn't be any easier than that. David Van Berkel, thank you so much for joining us, mate. My pleasure, Trevor. Have a great day, buddy. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made Wolfgarten tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Use the code GURUS for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October. I'm going to get back into these questions because it looks like you've all got a lot of questions to ask today. And... Um, and I'm not even sure where I start. So I might start in WA with Sharon. She's in Palmyra, which is uh, pretty famous for its sandy soils. She wants to transplant a plum tree. What's the best potting mix and fertiliser to use? Well, um, I would wait, to be quite honest, Sharon. I wouldn't rip it out just at the moment. We're in you know, early February. February is the hottest month of the year. And if you were to take it out now, the transplant shock may be just too much for your plum. I would leave it. At, at the earliest until probably April, and then I'd look at moving it. Try and get as much of the root system out. And if you're going to put it into a into a pot, then you want to use a top quality potting mix. So that Osmocote potting mix, the professional bl uh, blend, is the one to go for. That is absolutely brilliant. Um, and as far as fertilizer goes, don't use any fertilizer uh, when you've transplanted a tree like that. 
uh, the fertiliser will burn those already damaged roots and uh, you don't want that, particularly as the new feeder roots start to recover. What you do want to do is try and reduce the transplant shock and using seaweed extract. So something like sea salt is always a good way to go. I hope that helps, Sharon. Let's go to Brisbane. Glenis, hello Glenis. Your Jap pumpkin is growing profusely, gets flowers and starts getting pumpkins and then they dive. How can you fix it? You need to add some gypsum into the soil around the base of the plant as soon as you possibly can. Um, this is quite a, quite a common problem um, and it, it's not necessarily just the calcium that's causing the issue here. Uh, that's what gypsum will provide you, but the issue is, is generally pollination, but they do appreciate, um, they do appreciate uh, the gypsum, the, the, the calcium in the soil, and it does seem to help with the flower setting and getting the pumpkins to actually grow to full size. So uh, yeah, gypsum around the outside, and uh, it doesn't hurt to try and increase your humidity just a little bit, Glenis, that should help. But of course, really what you want is lots of bees coming in and doing their job. So hopefully uh, you'll see a fair bit of bee activity too. All right, Jane's from Gooburram in Queensland as well. That's a really good one. Um, I have a, a Wurtz avocado tree. It's been slow to flower and bear fruit. You've had it since 2015 in a pot and then you transplanted it to a raised garden bed in 2017. Just one crop of five last year. So um, all the avocados, uh, they do require uh, cross-pollinating. So they produce a, uh, a so they have uh, male and female flowers, but they produce the males in the morning and females in the afternoon. And sometimes males on one day and females will open on the other day. Um, the trick with this is actually to make sure that you are getting a good pollination through, but it's not it's not actually bees that come through and pollinate avocados as such. They, they will move the pollen around, but it's actually flies, believe it or not, that, that come in. So um, that's the first thing, is just getting the pollination right. Uh, the second thing that you need to be aware of is that uh, avocados tend to be biennial croppers anyway, which means every second year you'll get a good crop and then the, the following year the tree will almost rest itself. It'll produce some fruit, but not a lot. This year is my year of a lot of fruit, so uh, the, the two larger size avocados that I have at home are just full of fruit and um, it's something to look forward to. I hope that helps, Jane. Uh, in, a, in a raised garden bed, you might find that um, the tree itself is trying to still establish its root system and, and get down. And that's actually also something very important for avocados. Daniel, we're not sure where you're from, but can you get some help? You said your mop top has started to turn yellow and has these black bugs on it. What's the best way to save our tree? Any advice would be appreciated. First thing first, um, Daniel, you need to let us know where you are because it does help me uh, understand what time or what season you're in, what what insects might be a little bit more predominant. Mop tops tend not to be too badly damaged by many bugs, to be quite honest. Um, the fact it's turning yellow suggests to me that you might actually have a black scale on it, and that's a fairly common problem of some uh, in some conditions. I'm still not 100% confident that that's exactly what it is, and I would love to see a photograph, but. In the short term, what I would recommend you do is give the tree a bit of a spray with a pest oil and that will knock some of the scale back and then hopefully um, your, your tree will pick up. One thing you should do is definitely give it a really good feed with an all-round fertiliser. So an all-purpose fertiliser right now 
will make the world of difference. And you've just come back to us. Thanks, Daniel. You're in Victoria. I would suggest that it's probably scale, I reckon, based on that. So um, that's, uh, that's the first thing I would say. Um, now, let's go down. Robin, thank you very much. You love the program. You're wondering, you are wandering around your serpentine property, picking up horse manure and listening in. Well done. Um, you know what, horse manure is one of the best organic fertilisers you can add to a veggie garden. So, and roses are the other ones that love it. My grandfather was a dairy farmer in a place called Mundajong, not too far from Serpentine. And uh, he had the best roses and those roses were sport rotten with lots and lots of horse and cow manure. Cara is in New South Wales. You've got a strawberry plant in a big pot. When it produces fruit, the strawberries are only very small, um, not much bigger than blueberries. Can you please give me some advice so I can get some decent strawberries off it? I think that this is probably just the variety you've got. You sound to me like you've got an alpine style of, of strawberry, I would think. Um, the, the real trick is probably going to be break the strawberry plant up, but I'd leave it for another month and then break it up in March, early April. Split it up because there'll be a few plants should be in the pot and then I would replant it and then I would give it a really good potting mix and let it do its thing. Uh, most strawberries, interestingly enough, don't produce fruit this time of the year. Uh, as the days get shorter, um, they, they have a particular pattern where they won't produce as many flowers if any flowers at all. Uh, as the days get longer, they produce lots of flowers and bigger fruit. That's why the best strawberries are always in the spring, early summer period, just so you know. I hope that helps. Feeding does, does the world a good, but if, the, if it's naturally a smaller variety, you not, can't do very much about that. Uh, what the offset for those alpine style of strawberries is, is that they tend to be very, very fragrant and flavoursome. So hopefully that's what you're experiencing, Cara in New South Wales. Katrina is in Marburg in Queensland. You've got rose cuttings. What's the best way to propagate? Well, roses will grow um, quite well from cutting, actually. Uh, best way to grow them is actually put them into a really nice propagating mix. High humidity uh, for a period of time. So if you've got a little glass house is the ideal scenario. One of those little propagation houses, those kits that you can get, they're fantastic. And what you'll find is the rose will callus on the very bottom of the, of the cutting and you'll start to see this white callusing coming around the outside and shoots will come off. Now, if you put those cuttings in now, you'll end up with roots starting to develop probably by about April, early May. And I would then leave the rose in the pot. I wouldn't do anything, uh, I wouldn't take the cuttings out. I would leave them, wait until October when the weather is warmed up and they're on their way and they're growing strongly. And then I would look at um, planting them individually into separate pots. But generally you put all your cuttings in one pot together. So I hope that helps. Now I did promise you that I would talk about um, controlling pests in the garden. And I've got a fantastic story coming up in the first episode of The Garden Gurus. Um, it's, it's an interesting story and uh, it's all about biological control. So what we, what we like to call integrated IPM, integrated pest management. And this is using predatory insects to control bugs that are a little bit out of control. And um, there are now companies in Australia that are providing those. So you can order them online, which uh, I'm sure we're going to put up some details of that. In fact, you can see this is an example of the story or some, some, some um, vision from the story as we're looking. And these bugs um, these, that they are breeding, they are really interesting insects. So I've, I've got a bit of kale and I've just noticed I've got a little bit of uh, white fly on there. Now, they've got a... a 
a predatory wasp. It's a tiny little wasp that goes around and it feeds off the, off the whitefly. So if you've got kale and you've got whitefly, instead of spraying the plant something that you're going to eat with a chemical, why not use a predatory insect? And so that's what these guys do so well. And uh, getting your hands on, uh, on these bugs is as, as little as jumping online or as simple as jumping online and being able to place your orders with Biological Services IPM. That's the company. It's a great story. And uh, if you're looking to control thrips in your rose flowers, mites on some of your leafy tropicals, and you'll see the mites are starting to do a fair bit of damage out there at the moment. I noticed I had some on... Uh, on some hydrangeas and uh, the leaves start to silver and you can see some webbing. Uh, I've introduced predatory mites and already the plants are looking better. But now is the time to be thinking about getting control in a natural way. And when you get the balance right, um, once, once there's a good balance in the system, you tend not to have to worry about it too much um, next year because you tend to find that there's still some residual predatory insects in and around your garden doing good things. Wow, lots of uh, things to talk about today, but there's one person I've really been looking forward to catching up with because she is one of the most creative thinkers that I've come across. Karen Goldie is the State Sales Manager at Evergreen Garden Care. How's life in South Australia at the moment, Karen? We Hi, Trevor. Oh, there she is. She's popped up. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? I'm very good. How is life in South Australia? What's the weather like? Uh, very uh, quite mild today. We've got yeah. some we've got some hot weather coming um, towards Thursday, but uh, yeah, it's sort of mid twenties. Quite lovely gardening weather at the moment. Fantastic. Now, tell me a little bit about what you've been up to. I, I know um, you're a bit of a romantic. There's a bit of a bit of softy in you for sure. What you've got a great idea for Valentine's Day, right? I have, and uh, a perfect segue actually. It involves tea. So cups and saucers yeah. um, to go with the, the tea theme today, which is quite quite good. Yeah. Um, although it's, it's five o'clock somewhere, isn't it? I swapped out the Friday night red wine for a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. But it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> but um, I've, I've received lots of inquiries after doing the Christmas tree and yeah. my little technique for um, propagating succulents. So um, I thought I would do another another little gift idea today, which involves succulents. Yeah. Um, hopefully, everyone's been propagating their succulents and have got uh, you know good good summer weather for the succulents at the moment. And the other thing that I've done, you gave great advice last. You gave, gave great advice last time about growing them from their leaves, and that's such a simple way to do it, isn't it? You just only need a leaf and you can you can grow a whole new plant. Exactly, and that's where all of these came from. And then, you know, you have a look at them and, you know, they, they've got quite good um, root stock on them now, yeah. which make them perfect uh, to use for other, for other ideas. So what I've got are these little cups and saucers, yeah. which I've planted out with um, succulents and they make a really nice little little hanging idea. Wow, so, that's cool. <laughs> so I love wandering around op shops and looking yeah. for, for finds and, you know, you can often find these, these cups and saucers um, in the op shops for, you know, 50 cents a piece. Uh, they don't have to match uh, for this uh, um, activity. Yeah. Um, and also... Um, you might have a mum or grandma or someone special in the family uh, that, that, you know, had this, 
these collections of cups and saucers which you can repurpose and you can re-gift them back to that loved one and it makes a nice a nice memorial, a nice memento of that person that used to own the cup and saucer. Yeah. So so tell me, um, take us through how you do it, what, what you've done here. Okay. So the, the first thing is to join the cup and saucer. Yeah. So I like to do them on their side. That way you still have some good drainage um, and the succulents, the roots aren't getting wet when you water them. So join them together and I recommend using a good quality adhesive. So um, I use Araldite. Um, I find if you're putting them outside, some of the cheaper um, sealants that you can buy, the heat will actually make them come apart. So uh, use, a, use a good quality adhesive. Yeah. And join the cup and saucer together with the cup on its side yeah. um, at the contact points. So that's the first step. Let that dry. Yeah. And then you might want to add a hanging uh, device as well. I, I like to use beads. You can tie some ribbon. You could put so just some fishing line, some wire, whatever you yeah. like. Um, just tie that to the handle. Or they actually sit quite nicely on the shelf on their own if you don't want to have them hanging. So I've got that that um, cup and saucer already um, pre-glued and ready to yeah. go. So the first step is to pop it up on it. It's easier to work up on its on its side, and yeah. I put a handful of Osmocote cacti and succulent potting mix yeah, in there. Okay. So just just about a handful, and then you just grab your succulents and just pop them in, and just start to get your just however you want to pop them in. And you're not scared, not scared about the number going in there? You look like you're going to put at least three or four in there? I am. I am indeed. Um, I'm not, not too, too scared about putting too much in there. Interestingly enough, when you put succulents in and you grow them all together, one, is, one thing you tend to do is you keep them to a compact size, but the competition actually is good for them. They, they, they tend to have good vigour and general health when they're competing like that. That's exactly right. And, I mean, this one here has been planted for about a year. So, wow. um, and, and you just um, use some tweezers, just pull off the, the leaves if, as they die. Um, yep. They might start to sprout babies. You can even just pick those off and then pop those into your propagating mix ready to make uh, more succulents. Wow. So once you've got your little, you've got that how you'd like it to look, yep. then you use some sphagnum moss. Now, with the just a little tip with the sphagnum moss, I pre-soak my sphagnum moss right. with the pour and feed, the succulent pour and feed. Right. So you're actually, you're actually letting the sphagnum moss soak it up and hold onto it. Exactly. So um, I find sphagnum moss is easier to work with when it's wet. It's yep. easier to mould and, and easier to, to push um, inside that area trying to get. But also um, it's just adding some of those additional nutrients as well into wow. the sphagnum moss. And this so, sti stimulates pretty pretty rapid regrowth, so the plants establish quite quickly doing this as well, I'd imagine. Exactly. And even to the point you can even use some succulents that don't even have much rootstock on them. So you can even pick them, leave them to sit for a few days and then actually um, use them in your craft. And by doing this, you'll actually stimulate some root growth and they'll they'll take hold. What a so clever idea. So once I've got the, the wet sphagnum moss, then you just pop that in around 
and that will actually help hold that potting mix in place. Yep. And it will actually, so it'll keep your soil in there and it will just make everything nice and snug and hold your succulents in place. So I just think it's nice. As you say, it's been a, it's been a hard 12 months. It's just nice to give someone a gift. And this can be really inexpensive. If you've only paid a dollar for your cup and saucer, yeah. or better yet, if you've got some sitting in the cupboard, and if you've already got your little stash of, of potting mix and sphagnum moss, as you can see, the project doesn't use much and all the succulents are all propagated in the garden. Karen, it's this, as simple as that. that's brilliant. What a great idea. Ready to, ready to hang. Yeah, and what, so, a, what a wonderful personal gift too with a really lo lovely touch attached to it. That's, that's just fantastic. What a great idea. And the pour and feed, obviously, in the future, just keep giving it the pour and feed just to keep them growing and, and obviously some nutrition because there's not a lot of soil there. So just keeping that nutrition up for them as well, right? Absolutely. Um, and I also use a spray bottle as well and I yeah. find the best way to water these guys is actually just to just moisten, just spray the sphagnum moss because, yeah. as you know, the succulents don't like to have wet feet, which, again, yeah. is another reason why I put the the cups and saucers put the um the cup on its side as well yeah. so it's nice and nice and free drainage so just give the just wet the sphagnum moss as need be and yeah just keep it nice and alive and i've been um this was the christmas tree that we did at christmas time yeah. and i have been uh giving that a feed every 14 days every two weeks just um giving that a little bit of the pour and feed yeah. Um, and what I've done is, because I mean, what do you do with your Christmas tree when it's not Christmas? So, <laughs> so for Valentine's Day, I've turned it into a little tree of love, uh, and I've got these little these little glitter glitter hearts, uh, which I've attached, I've attached them to the uh, floristry pins, and just pop those in with some red feathers and made it a little tree of love for Valentine's Day. You are, you are very special, <laughs> wonderful. That is absolutely gorgeous. Karen, thank you so much. What a, what a great little session. I really enjoyed that. I'm hoping we'll see you next week when we uh, do it all over again. Absolutely. I hope so. Thanks, thanks again for the invitation. No, thanks for that great idea. Another great idea from Karen Goldie. Love the garden. No wonder you love the garden so much. It's fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Right, well, I think I need to get back on to answering some questions because we're going to be here all day with the number that are coming through. We've got, uh, let's go to Victoria. We've got Judy and Bendigo. Now we're trying to grow different veggies this year. All of our capsicums and chilies are very small. Any ideas why? Well, certainly with, with so, certainly with the varieties, sometimes there are dwarf varieties, so small fruited varieties. In fact, the ones that I'm growing predominantly at home are all small fruited varieties. Um, we've been sort of talking about the use of gypsum. Now is the time you'll see if you're lacking uh, the, the, the correct amount of calcium in your soil. And that does affect the size of the fruit. Um, it also can cause diseases when you don't have enough. So you can end up with something um, known as blossom end rot. 
It's a very common problem this time of the year. I'm getting a lot of people bringing that up. In fact, Jimmy, who is part of the team here, he just brought it up this morning. He's got the same problem with his zucchinis. And uh, the, the solution, very, very easy. Gypsum, use that, that'll help. Kerry's in Gin Gin, when do I prune my grevilleas after flowering? Well, actually, after flowering is when you do prune them, but some varieties of grevilleas will continue to flower all through the year. So later in the autumn is always the best time from my point of view. Margot is in WA, we're not quite sure where, but my garden is watered and filtered with filtered water. Do I need to add minerals back into the garden? Well, the answer is, if you're harvesting flowers and you're harvesting fruit and vegetables, etc you should be adding minerals back into the soil. In fact, this intensive um, farming that we do in, in our backyards, it presents some real challenges because our soils only have so much nutrient in them. So we do need to be putting it back in on a regular basis. The question you're raising about filtered water, does filtered water take, um, take the minerals out? It's a general comment, it doesn't actually take minerals out as such. But if you've got, if you've got any kind of osmotic um, water filter, so something that's uh, that's doing something, uh, literally taking molecules out, then yes, absolutely. But it doesn't matter. You should be adding minerals back into the soil on a regular basis. That's where controlled release fertilisers are really good. Um, they'll help you help you out a lot. Now, we're going to Victoria, to Margaret. My crepe myrtle hasn't flowered for the last two years. What should I feed it? In fact, Margaret, what you shouldn't do is feed it. The funny thing about crepe myrtles is they produce the best flowers when they're treated pretty tough. Now, it's only this applies to mature plants. So this is once your tree is established, um, leave it. Don't go feeding it, and that'll stimulate good flowering. When you feed them a lot, they don't need to produce a lot of flower. They're not feeling threatened. They don't need to reproduce, which is the purpose of flowering. So therefore, they tend to um, they tend to back off. Christine is in Stirling. Uh, hello, Christine. I think I know this Christine. Um, Stirling's in uh, in Perth. She's spread sudden impact for roses and troforte on her plants in the front of a garden on Saturday before the rain. Wondering how long it'll be before you see results. With all the rain we've had over here in Perth in the last couple of days, you're going to see some pretty big results pretty quickly. Um, your native friend Japani is still not happy, even though you gave it troforte three weeks ago. Please remember Troforte is a controlled release fertiliser, so small amounts on a regular basis. You're not going to see those results immediately, but within about four to six weeks, about halfway through the fertiliser's lifespan, you'll start to see a, a good improvement. And probably at about eight weeks to even ten weeks, you'll really see the plant start to peak. So you should see it start to get nice dark green foliage and start to grow quite strongly. And particularly as we're moving into these milder conditions, there's a lot to look forward to. One of the interesting things with, with this rainfall this time of the year is uh, there's nothing quite like natural rainfall for stimulating good growth. So those people who have lived on, live on the West Coast and have had a fair bit of rain, I know there's been a fair bit up in Queensland as well. This, this rain is very good for your garden and it is the perfect time. What, what Christine's doing right at the moment is the best thing you can do and that is to get out and feed your plants. When you've got this natural rainfall, feed your plants and you will get great autumn growth results. Now remember, if you like any of the, the things that we've raised uh, today, any of the questions I've answered, if you've got some, some points that you'd like to, to, to bring up, let us know. Um, always give us a like. That always helps and encourages us to keep going. And, uh, of course, um, 
make sure that when you do send your, your question in, that you do let us know where you're from. Sue, for example, is from Melbourne. She's got fruit trees that she's espaliered. They're eight to nine years old and she's always looked after them, but last year a friend suggested they'd prune them for me. It was not cheap, but I thought that it might be wise not to be up a ladder anymore. Okay, that's probably a smart move, um, but you're not happy with the job he's done. Most of the trees are, are doing only just okay, but one of your apple trees is doing very poorly. You don't know why. Can you please suggest what I should do to save the tree? Feed it. Right at the moment, give it a good feed. It's really important, Sue. Fertiliser for fruit trees in the, this stage of the season will really help them come back. And sometimes pruning can knock a tree back really hard. In the, in the old days, um, the standard practice when I was a young horticulturalist coming through the system was to, to basically to prune all of your deciduous fruit trees in the winter. But now it's recommended you prune them during summer. In fact, February is probably the month, late February is the month in most of the country to go through and give them a prune. So um, that might be why they're just recovering at the moment. So give them a feed, it should help it a lot. I hope that helps, Sue. Now, I wanted to show you this. Unfortunately, we've just had all these storms and all of the flowers have pretty much come off. But this beautiful little plant um, is what's left of the flower raceme that came from my purple wreath vine. And if you live in Queensland, you live in the tropics, you probably know this one, it's fairly common, but it does grow quite a way south. This is called Petria volbulus, and it is an absolutely beautiful climber. And this time of the year, it's smothered in these, um, these lilac bracts that produce a beautiful violet flower in the middle of them. All the flowers, unfortunately, were blown off over the weekend. I couldn't believe it. I was bragging to Michaela about how much I love this plant and how beautiful it is with all the, the flowers, only for the wind to come through and finish this particular one off. I don't have a lot of flowers on my plant because it's growing up into a tree. But when you have them on a fence, growing up along a fence, this is just one of the most beautiful climbers and you can grow it as far south as Melbourne. Uh, don't know whether it'll grow in Tassie. Maybe if somebody's um, tuned in from Tassie and uh, you have grown it or you know where there is some, you could let us know. But certainly I've seen them growing in Melbourne. They don't like the cold too much, but um, the further north you go, the better it gets. In fact, um, my plant was sent down to me from a friend up in Darwin uh, to give you an idea. So it's a real tropical. The purple wreath vine, keep your eye out for it. If you, if you can find it in your local garden centre, it's a real collectible and just gorgeous. Loves a lovely sunny spot and does exceptionally well. King, uh, King's a, a, a regular friend with us. Uh, he tunes in every week from Perth. Thanks very much. He'd like to know why his crepe myrtle is still not flowering compared to last February when it had lots of beautiful blooms. Uh, will it still flower before summer ends? Well, it should do, King. Um, the two things with crepe myrtles that I've seen is that uh, too much fertiliser, too much water um, will affect the amount of flower they produce. If you can back the water rod off it now, let it stress a bit. You don't want it to get too stressed, but if it stresses a bit, it'll produce magnificent flowers. And I've got one at home at the moment that's just gorgeous. Uh, so yours should be doing the same because we're both in Perth. Margaret is from Belgrave in Melbourne, uh, one of my favourite areas for gardens. How do you get rid of elm beetle? Now that is a very hard thing to do, I'm afraid. Um, elm beetle has gone through and just decimated the elms right across Australia and uh, certainly across the world. And um, 
There's a couple of systemic treatments, but the best thing you can do is speak to an arborist uh, in your local area about uh, about uh, trying to control elm beetle. But I'm afraid it's uh, because of the size of the trees, it's almost impossible to treat. Now, Rosie just wanted to know about the purple wreath vine. Would the vine be harmful to cows? Now, that's a good question. I don't think I don't think I've ever heard of it being toxic, but I don't know to be quite honest. And I've never fed it to cows, so I, I can't answer that question. What I would suggest, Rosie, is that you don't grow it near cows. Cows are um, it wouldn't take them very long to uh, to do a fair bit of damage to a purple wreath vine anyway. So um, I would keep it well away from them. Is my advice. Good question. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Trent is in Toowoomba in Queensland. Hello, Trent. Got a pineapple plant. You planted it from a pineapple top in a pot. It's about two years old now and the leaves are starting to turn a purple colour. Is this normal? Um, yeah, so that's generally an indication actually of a deficiency in uh, in the pineapples just means that you need to increase your fertilizer uh, with trace elements in it so a good all-round all-purpose fertilizer with a good long list of those essential trace elements is vitally important um, at two years you should also be starting to see it looking like it's going to produce a crown out of the middle and that's the beginning of, of a pineapple actually coming through. So generally in the tropics it's about every two years you'll start to get your pineapple fruit form. So I would suggest that you might be seeing a little bit of that starting to occur but if you don't feed it right at the moment um, the big problem could be that you end up in a situation where you only end up with a very small fruit. So feeding it now is a really good idea. Leonie's in Adelaide. You treated your tangelo, as I suggested, for yellowing and curling leaves and the small bumps on some of the fruit. Now, the fruit's bigger, but you're wondering if the ones with the little bumps have to be discarded or are they going to be okay? Depends what's caused the little bumps, Leonie, and I can't tell you without seeing a picture, so it's always good to send us a little picture, but I, I suspect that the fruit will develop normally now and, and it should be fine. I, I don't think I'd discard them at this point in time. I think they should be okay. Uh, Aruni is in Applecross, which is in Perth. Um, our poor paw died recently from some kind of rot. It was growing well for a few years and produced good-sized fruit. I'm wondering whether to plant a different fruit species, like an orange tree in the same spot, here in Applecross. Uh, Rudy, I would say to you that um, pawpaws have a limited lifespan. They don't live as a tree for that long. You can sort of get sometimes up to 10 years, maybe 12 years with them, but but that's um, it's not common. Really probably seven or eight years is, is the peak. And there's a couple of things that affect pawpaws, particularly in the Perth area. Never ever grow any of the cucubits. So, um, or, or any of the melons of any sort in and around them because they tend to get a virus that's transferred by uh, insects. It's a mosaic virus and that mosaic virus will get into the pawpaws and cause them to die back. And generally the, the sign of them dying back from that is uh, kind of like a rotting of the, of the main trunk. 
So it could be that. So always keep put your pawpaws well away from cucumbers, zucchinis, uh, watermelons, rock melons, etc., etc., uh, because you don't want the two to cross over. Uh, because the melons will die off naturally, and they tend to get this virus at the end of their life, uh, and they only live for a year. But the the pawpaw you want to live for a long period of time. As far as um, citrus in the same spot, sure, not a problem at all. It'll grow in the same spot if that helps. Um, that helps you out. I hope it does. Anne is in Cairns. So we've gone from Apple Cross to Cairns. We've got an eight-month-old eight slender-leafed spy lilies. Uh, so very similar to, in fact, the same, to be honest. Uh, this one is a slender leaf, uh, which only one of them's flowered. Now, they've got plenty of water and fertiliser. What am I doing wrong? What you're doing wrong is what most of us do when it comes to causing problems in the garden. We either give too much love or not enough love. It's usually one of the extremes that causes it. And in the case of this, it's too much love. You're giving them too much water and too much fertiliser. So back the water and fertiliser off. It might be a little late for them to come into flower now. I'm not sure. Um, in cans, seasonally, they probably should have been in flower about um, a month at least ago. But let's see how you go. It's just too much love you're giving at the moment. So take that on board and be a little bit tougher with them. Try and back the water off if you can. Jody is in New South Wales. You've got a raised garden bed that runs along the edge of your driveway. The soil's very hard. And the water doesn't soak in too well. And it's only wetting to a depth of about two centimetres. How do you get the water into it? It's got a lot of established roses and bulbs in it. Right, two things. You should get a fork and fork into some holes into the, into the garden bed open them up as much as you can. Get some gypsum and then spread that over the top and wash it into those holes all the way up and down the garden bed. Gypsum uh, at around about a kilo per square metre will help open it up and improve the aeration within the soil. Um, the other thing just at the moment would be putting a wetting agent down. I think once you've got to the point where water's not soaking in, that hydrophobicity, which is what it's called, um, can only really be solved by by adding a wetting agent into the soil. So, Jody, I hope that helps. Kevin's in Coffs Harbour. You've got uh, Viburnum emerald lustre shrubs and they're developing red leaves. Normally, they're super shiny green and you've got uh, clay in your soil, not soil in your clay, yeah. Um, listen, I reckon that the, the problem you've got here is a nutrient deficiency, Kevin, um, and I'd be looking at putting some rock minerals into the soil. So. Um, Emerald Luster, these Viburnums are really hungry. They love lots of fertiliser. Feeding them on a regular basis is really important. I hope that helps. Claudia's in Gidjigenup. Gidjigenup has been uh, one of those areas that has been impacted by these terrible fires. Wooraloo was the, um, was the, the epicentre, if you like, of where it all started. But uh, Claudia from Gidjigenup has um, sent us a note through to say she wasn't affected by the fires. She's got fruit trees, which haven't been pruned for many years, you suspect. There seems to be nectarines, apples, peaches and maybe plums. You mentioned pruning at the end of summer. Is this correct? I thought winter was the best time to prune. This is exactly the point I was making. You can prune your deciduous in trees in winter. In fact, um, a lot of orchards still do it, but they'll always give them a summer prune. So if I was going to do anything, right now I would prune them, Claudia. I'd bring them back down. You'll get a little bit of regrowth sort of emerge afterwards, but the, the real key is prune them now have a look for any dead wood during the winter, take any dead wood out again, and then come next season, you should start to see, you should be able to give them a feed, probably around about September, really good feed, and you should start to see some really good, strong growth. Um, Gidjigenup's got some quite heavy soils up there and gravelly kind of soils, 
and this will do them the world of good if you do it like that. Phil is in Perth. We're getting a few from Perth today. Um, my bananas are going well and I've been, been, and I have good looking bananas nearing ready to harvest. Can I remove some of the many pups it has and without stopping, stopping the fruit from fattening up? You know what? That's a really good thing. I've got uh, huge big bunches of bananas and yeah, if you take the flower off, um, just stops all the energy going off into that and that'll force the bananas to ripen quite quickly. So the answer is yes, you can. And um, bananas grow really well in Perth. They are a very delicious thing to grow and, uh, and to be able to harvest sun ripened. Anne is in Cookinup and you've got a big leaf periwinkle. Okay, yep, it's taking over your garden. This is the perennial um, periwinkle and uh, you've burnt it and poisoned it but it comes back stronger now, it's starting to come up on your pathway. Do I have any suggestions on how to kill it, please? Look, um, regular, regular cutting it back is going to be the, the key. So the more foliage it can produce, the stronger the plants will be. So you actually have to be persistent and keep cutting back. You can, once you've cut back the second time, lay a big, thick layer of mulch over the top. That will help knock it back a bit. Um, systemic herbicides are probably the key. Um, so if you go through with a whippersnipper, cut it back, systemic herbicide, so we're talking glyphosate here, um, that will knock it back. I'm not a big fan of using it. I would much prefer to see you just keep cutting them back with your, um, with your line trimmer, but you know, glyphosate in the form of Roundup is a, is a sure fire way to knock it back, but only apply it after you've cut them back with a whippersnipper so that the, the wounds are fresh and you can get into it pretty quickly. Christine from Perth, I'd like to know where to buy salvia and clivia plants in Perth. Um, okay. Best place I would suggest to you is, uh, is your local Waldex store. Um, there's some beautiful clivias I saw up at their Sterling store and also in their, um, their Kingsley store. So if you're north of the river, they're the ones to look out for. And I know in about a month's time, they're reopening the Melville store and it'll be one of the modern, most modern garden centres in Australia. So something to look forward to for people living south of the river in Perth. Margaret has written in to us, um, not sure where you're from, Margaret. I suspect you're probably from Melbourne because you've asked, do I have any answers to possum problems? They're eating all of your plants and trees. This is a pretty pretty common thing in Melbourne at the moment. Um, and there are a lot of deterrents for possums, um, but very difficult to get rid of them. What I would suggest you do is look at a combination chilli uh, chili and white uh, pepper spray. So that it gets, it irritates their noses. So they tend to stay away from your plants. So you mix it up in a in a spray bottle, and you've got to really agitate it a lot. Put a little bit of um, a bit of a surfactant in there. So you can put something like say white oil in there, mix that up, then spray it over all of your plants, and that tends to stop them um, from really getting out of control uh, and keeps them away. It doesn't get rid of them, and it doesn't hurt them. So it's just something you're going to have to do on a regular basis. I've seen people dust their plants. They water the, the garden, dust the plants down with white pepper and uh, you'll hear the possums sneezing that night when they come into your garden and they don't like it, so they do tend to move away. Svetlana is in Perth. Hello, Trevin team. Hi, Svetlana. I've got a question about how to harvest 
K mangoes. Now that's Kensington Pride mangoes in the Perth metro area. Can I pick them while they're green and let them ripen up inside? Thank you very much for your advice. Look, you can, once they start to, once you start to see just a little bit of blush coming on the outside edge, you can pick them. Personally, I think they're a lot better to ripen naturally on the tree, they're sweeter. So that's just a personal thing. And of course, you know, you can also um, harvest and use mangoes green as well. So. It's completely up to you on how you do it, but certainly ripening them inside is one way to do it. Uh, Phil comment came back about uh, banana plant. Sorry, Trevor, not the flower, but the actual banana shoots. Is it coming? Oh, sorry. So the suckers coming up out of the ground. I've got about 10. They're not going to hinder um, fruiting at all. And interesting thing about the banana is, of course, it is a herb. So it's actually what's going on in the ground uh, that's really important. So they're going to be your future providers of fruit. So I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't cut them back at all. I would leave the plant as it is and let it do its own thing naturally. Wow. We have gone through a lot of questions. Um, it's time to wrap it up. I hope you've enjoyed the session this morning and really appreciate you coming and joining us on this beautiful Monday morning. Um, what can I tell you? We are going to be back this Friday, 7pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. That is 4pm uh, Western Standard Time. Uh, check your local guides if you're not sure uh, where you sit in the middle of things because I know we've got a few different time zones around the country. And Michaela's going to be sending out our winners of the five packets of Fothergill Seeds to Sharon at Palmyra. Olivia in Ballarat, Rosie from Maruna, Jane from Queensland and Cara from New South Wales. Congratulations to all of you. Well done. The Garden Guru's autumn season is getting very close. We are filming madly as we speak. Uh, it'll be starting on the 27th of February. You'll find it on Channel 9. Check your local guides. And remember, you can always jump onto our website and catch up on previous stories from the Garden Guru series or our YouTube channel, which you can also um, actually watch some fantastic stories. We've got such an amazing resource of gardening information on that website. We've been doing this for nearly 20 years now and uh, it's, uh, it's a really handy thing for you to be able to rely on. So you should uh, check it out on a regular basis if you can. Remember, you can listen back to today's live stream. You can catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Podbean. And I can't wait to see you again this Friday, 7pm, Eastern Standard Daylight Time, 4pm Western Standard Time. Happy gardening, everybody. Have a nice week. Dig, dig the ground, down in the hole, I'm trouble. Dig, 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 dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my spade, I got my hole, I got my rake, and I'm ready to go.